Let's bow in prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for Jesus, our Savior. We thank you that we can be here today to study your word. And Lord, we do pray that you will take your word. It's the most important thing that we'll be talking about today. Your word and apply it to our hearts in the way that it needs to be applied. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I I think everybody likes to receive gifts. Isn't that true? Christmas time especially, even though we're not near there, but it's coming. But we like gifts. And it's interesting that when we come into the Christian camp, there is an amazing thing in Scripture that it is told us that every believer has a gift. And you may not know what your gift is, and I know they have great big conferences that have about, you know, your spiritual gifts and all this, but the Word is filled with the fact that When we receive Jesus as our personal Savior, we are given a gift. You may not know what yours is, but I bet you do. And if you don't know, ask someone near you who knows you well, and they will tell you what you're good at. And really, that's the way the Spirit of God does it. He gifts people according to their personality and what they can do. And it's a wonderful thing, the way he gifts. In in our outline, uh, first of all... uh, um, what can I do as a believer? Well, as we, as we look at the introduction, we all have different gifts. That is told us in Romans 12.6. It's a, it's a, uh, I might as well read it because it's a, uh, it's a very special verse. And you have read it many times. Having then gifts differing according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. And then it goes on to tell you the different, the different gifts in this particular section. There are other sections in the New Testament that also list the different kinds of gifts. And even though primarily we're not talking about that today in this service, I wanted to preface my remarks with this matter of gifts because in the second place we are to use them, it says in Romans 12.6 that I just read. Not only has God given you a gift, but he says, I want you to use them. And then uh, in the third place, we are to we do this by ministering to one another. First Peter 4:10 gives a, a very interesting little uh, uh, highlight to that. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another. So God has given you some special thing that you can do, my friend, and God wants you to do that in a ministry way to one another. Use what God has given you, that gift, and help somebody else. Minister to one another. And then, of course, the reason is given in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7. It says, for the profit of all. Because you see, if you are doing what God wants you to do, and if I'm doing what God has asked me to do, then everybody is going to profit from one another because we're helping one another because we're using the particular gift that God the Holy Spirit has given to us. And so it's very, very important. Now, 1 Thessalonians gives us uh, several of different ways that we can that we can be active and do things in the church, out of the church, and it's not necessarily a gift of the Holy Spirit. Some of these are commands. Most of them are, I believe. They're commands, things that we are to do as believers. And it's just very, very, makes just common sense as we go through this this wonderful 1 Thessalonians. There are so many things that could be said as we go through 1 Thessalonians. I've only picked out five of them because otherwise we'd be here all day. And no one wants to do that. Number one, you can witness. You can witness. Now, it's interesting. 
If you come to 1 Thessalonians, uh, our, our main book that we're looking at this morning, very, very superficially, if you, come to, if you come to 1 Thessalonians and look at verse 6 and says, uh, Paul is speaking to the Thessalonians, uh, and you became followers of us and of the Lord. That is such an amazing combination of words. Did you notice what it says? It didn't say that they became followers of the Lord. They became followers of us. They became followers of Paul and his associates. Isn't that interesting? Why? Because God uses people in the field of witnessing. He wants to use you to be a witness. And as you are a witness according to the, to the commands of the Lord's word, then people will be saved. And then as soon as they are saved, they will begin following the Lord. That's why the combination of words there is so perfect. You became followers of us and of the Lord. Don't ever forget that. God wants to use you to be a witness in Ferndale as a member and friend of this church to win people to Christ. And as you do that, people will follow the Lord because they have discovered him through your witness about him. What a wonderful story. And then look at the second, uh, the second point is the fact that they were, they were examples. Notice that in verse 7. Um, so that you became examples. Now notice, I've always made a habit in my Bible marking. I always mark the word all, almost all. Always, I put a circle around it. Notice this in verse 7. For, so that you became examples to all in Macedonia and Achaia who believe. Isn't that amazing? The Thessalonians and their reception of Jesus Christ was so powerful that Paul says that, that their testimony, that they were examples to everybody. Isn't that amazing? Does that mean, dear people, that as you leave this service today, all of us who are believers in Christ, we could be such powerful examples for Jesus Christ that this city would know who Jesus is and what we're doing at First Baptist. Uh, <clears throat> I remember years ago, and I've given this illustration before, and I don't even know the, uh, the, the pastor's name. It was years and years ago, hundreds of years ago. He, he made the statement, he said... He said, someone asked him, Pastor, why is it that this little town where your church is, why is it that everybody seems to be so vibrant and knows everything that's going on and, and your church is so powerful? And he said, it's because every Sunday morning, 429 people leave the sanctuary and they preach the message I just gave. Where are they going to preach it? Out yonder. That's where they are, folks. They're not in here this morning. They're out yonder. We are to take the message of Jesus to them. Let's learn to do it, okay? So, they received the word. They were examples. And then look at verse 8. Just a continuation of the, of the same thing. It says, they sounded forth. Isn't that beautiful? They sounded forth. Uh, let me read verse 8, please. For from you, this is an amazing verse. For, for from you sounded out. For from you the word of the Lord has sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything. You would put the preacher out of business if we were doing our job for the Lord. 
But we're not going to put him out of business because we're all going to do it together. So everybody's busy. What a wonderful thing. We had a dear little saint in, in Brazil. Her name was Ma, Maria Cordiolando. And she was sick. She was in a hammock, swinging back and forth for years and years. We found out about her through our ministry at the City of Hope Baptist Church in, in, in uh, Natal, Rio Grande do Norte, Brazil. And I went to see her, Margie with me, and she was a gracious lady. And I say, well, tell me about your story, Maria. And she said, well, I'm a spiritist. I've been a spiritist and I've worshipped Satan for 30 years. Oh, really? Well, that kind of took me back. She just kept on swinging. And we kept on going week after week after week. And she never did really want to receive Jesus as her Savior. And one day, the Holy Spirit just gripped my heart. And I said in my soul, Lord, let me tell her one more time. And I said, Maria, why don't you become a Christian? Turn your life over to Jesus. Leave that terrible practice of witchcraft and and satanic worship and follow Jesus who will give you freedom and the assurance that when you die you will go to heaven and be with him and I went through I went through John John's gospel just very simply about as many as received him to them gave he power to become the sons of God even to those who believe on his name and just talk to her and I raised my head from from praying, because I had a word of prayer right after that, and I says, Maria, wouldn't you like to receive Jesus as your Savior? And she shook her head. She says, I already have, while I was praying. Praise the Lord. But here's what Maria did. Maria took these kind of admonitions seriously, even though she didn't know them. As she had just received Jesus as her personal Savior, she looked over from her hammock to her husband, who was sitting over there, a wonderful man. And she said, Kodiolanu, what about you? And he said, I receive him too. So here, Maria got saved and her husband in, in five seconds. Oh, folks, that's the way it can be done and should be done, for Jesus' sake. There was a, there was a Takuna Indian family in the Amazon jungles, and they were... We didn't know them, of course, until I preached the gospel in the area, and, 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 a, and a fellow, by their, one of their sons named Frank, came and received Jesus. And boy, he was a wonderful guy. And he went back, and the next week he brought to Peter, and Peter heard the gospel, and he got saved. The next week, Peter and Frank went back, and they brought their brother Madhu, and he heard the gospel, and he got saved. The next week, Frank, Peter, and Mario brought their brought their brother John, and he got saved. And the next week, these four brought Pasquale, and he got saved. And then they brought Teresa, their sister, she got saved. Then they brought Carmen, their mother, she got saved. And then they brought Robert, their dad, and he got saved. You see, bring the wandering ones to Jesus. Just do it, folks. Let's do it as a church. And learn what it means to bring people to Jesus Christ, that they will hear the wonderful message of salvation and be saved. What a, what a testimony our Brazilians have been. I led a, I, we were home from Brazil, and I was holding a service in the Tacoma Church, and, um, and um, at, the, at the invitation, a young girl raised her hand, a teenager, and uh, came forward, and we spoke to her, and she wonderfully received Jesus as her Savior. And I said, 
why don't you pray? And so, boy, never heard a prayer like this before. She prayed, uh, you know, she had never prayed before, so she didn't know how to pray. Sometimes that's a good idea. She just talked to the Lord about what he had just done in her life and saved her. And she says, Lord, if you save me, I'll do the rest. And I wonder what she meant by that. I found out the next meeting, she brought her folks, and they heard and they got saved. Save me, Lord, and I'll do the rest. Couldn't we just do that, folks? Just say, I'll do the rest. Go out and bring them in and talk to people about our wonderful Savior. Well, we've all heard of Charles Spurgeon. Charles Spurgeon was going to preach in the great big Crystal Palace in London. So he took his deacon. They went inside the auditorium, and they... Um, and he told his deacon, he says, go way up there in the last balcony up there in that place. And he said, uh, okay. So he went up there. And when he was up in, in position in his place, Spurgeon in that marvelous voice of his, I never heard it, but I'm sure it was because he was quite a preacher. He, he said this. He quoted a verse. He stood at the pulpit and says, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am chief. He did that just to check the acoustics in the auditorium. They didn't have any idea anyone was in the building. Thirty years later, he was called to a home in London. And the man said, Dr. Spurgeon, many years ago you stood in the pulpit and quoted a verse, 1 Timothy 1.15. I was clear up in the cupola doing glazing work in the glass work and I heard you give that voice and I fell under conviction and God the Holy Spirit convicted me and I became a Christian right up there doing my work. I trusted Jesus as my personal Savior. Well, he says, I just wanted to let you know that before I die because he was on his deathbed, he was dying and he wanted to tell that, uh, that dear, dear Dr. Spurgeon that story. But see, folks, it can happen in such a natural way. It's like the man one morning on his way to Sunday school, he saw four boys on the street corner. And he wondered about them. And he said, he went over to them. They were just loitering. And he says, he says, come with me to Sunday school. Well, they didn't even have a Sunday school class to bring them to. But he was under conviction. That was his home church. So he took them there and he taught a Sunday school class himself, even though he was not even an official teacher of the church. The four boys who were loitering on the street corner. Well, the years went by, and later on, this man who invited these four loitering boys to the Sunday school class, he, the teacher, received a birthday letter from each one of those boys. This was many, many years later. And here is the composition of those boys who were loitering on the street corner. One was a missionary to China. One was the president of the Federal Reserve Bank. One was the private secretary of former President Hoover. And the fourth was Hoover himself. You never know, folks, when you reach out and touch someone and talk to them about Jesus, what's going to happen. Let's learn to do it and have the joy that comes from doing that as we serve the Lord. What a joy. Acts 1.8 tells us where you're supposed to go to do all this. You already know that I'm not going to read it, but it's in Jerusalem, Judea, and the rest of the world. So you have no excuse. It's the one right here. It's the one next door. It's the one in another state and another in all around the world. Just keep on preaching. You see, folks, 
we are always witnessing to people around us. We had a dear friend who, who had a very tough family situation, high society. And, and Mary did not know how to reach them. So here's what she did. She took a gospel tract that we have in our church. She took a gospel tract and she took it and she wrote on a piece of paper. She transcribed it from that tract into her own handwriting and sent those to her family members like a personal testimony then because she didn't know how to do it. But listen, folks, at least she was doing it. And all of her family heard about Jesus through her own handwriting, just writing a note, transcribing a gospel tract to send to her family who did not know Jesus. What a story. Well, you can be a witness. I hope you are, my friend. I hope I am. The second thing on our outline is you can be joyful. Oh, really? Can you be joyful? Yes, you can. First of all, look, look at First Thessalonians. Look at, look at verse, um, let's see, where are we? We're in First Thessalonians 1 Thessalonians uh, 1.6. That, uh, first of all, says, And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Spirit. So this is talking about, again, once again, we know that joy is a product of the Holy Spirit. Now, you can be as happy as a lark, but happy is not necessarily joyful. Happiness depends on things that happen all the time around us. Joy is something you have on the inside, and you're, you're joyous all the time. It's just the way it works. It's wonderful. Well, then look at uh, chapter 2 and verse 19. There's another verse that, he, that he's relating about his, uh, his, uh, his joy. And it says, For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? It is not even uh, you in the presence of our Lord Christ that is coming, for you are our glory and joy. So he's... He's using the word joy, but we know that joy is a personal thing that comes to us through the power of the Holy Spirit. And in chapter 3, verse 9, he uses the word again. And then, of course, the favorite one is over in chapter 5, which you can see and read it real well. It just says, rejoice always. Rejoice always. That's, that's God's word to you and me, to be joyful. Joyful. Um, Incidentally, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit, um, in, in our outline, number joy, joy is the fruit of the Spirit. In, in our outline, under number two, you can be joyful. Joy is the fruit of the Spirit. Galatians 5.22, I will not read the verse, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace. There are. It's the second one on the list. Number two, joy gives, um, joy gives strength. You may say, boy, I'm just so weak today, I don't know what to do. Now, that could be physically or it could be spiritually, it could be a lot of different things. But if, you're, if you feel kind of weak today and feel like you can't hack it, just remember, dear friends, that Nehemiah told the Jews, he said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. How much better can you get than that? You can't. The joy of the Lord is your strength. Praise the Lord for that. Well, and then Psalm 126, uh, verse uh, 6, is uh, even though referring to the Jews coming back to their land, it's often used in, in evangelism context because look at this beautiful verse. He who continually goes forth weeping, bearing seed for sowing, shall doubtless come again with rejoicing, bringing his sheaves with him. Happiness when someone gets saved. Joy in your heart because someone is saved. Um, are you joyful today? Do you have the joy of the Lord in your life? 
We had a, we had a dear, I'm bringing all these examples from, San, from Brazil because they're so vivid in my mind after all these years that we've been out of there. Rita was a gal who was a school teacher, got saved way in the interior of Brazil, and became a powerhouse for the Lord. And she had nothing, had no money, didn't have much of a family, but boy, I'll tell you, she had the Lord and she was joyful. We would pick her up at the old folks' home every Sunday morning. She lived in an old folks' home in Natal, Rio Grande do Norte, Brazil, where, where we lived. And we'd pick her up, and we, she'd get in the back seat of the car, and she'd start singing. She knew all of the songs. She, could, she, could, she had a marvelous mind. She would start singing the hymns. And it took us about 15 minutes to get to church, so you can sing a few hymns in 15 minutes. And, and pretty soon I would hear a voice in the back seat. She said, Mr. Ralph. Are we getting near the church? Yes, Rita, it's right around the next corner. She said, praise the Lord. You know why? Because she's happy all the time. And she'd come to church, and boy, she would just sing with us and pray and listen to the word. And what a, what a lesson. One time she had to go from her town down to another town for a five-hour journey. No seats on the bus. That's a common occurrence in Brazil. Many a time for going out to, be, to, to do work in northeast Brazil, I'd have to stand up for four hours on the bus because there's no seats. Well, Rita had no seat either, and the, the driver said, well, you can sit here on this, on top of the motor. They have a box built over the motor, you know, on these old-time old buses. So she sat on the box for four hours. Must have been a hot seat for deluxe. But you know... She also lost her suitcase on that trip. And you get her off, you get her off the bus and start talking to her. You think Rita is down in the dumps? Never about anything. Lost your suitcase. She said, praise the Lord. The Lord will provide. She was happy. She was happy. We can learn from these people, my friend, to be happy in the Lord, joyful, because it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're not lined up very well with the Spirit of God. Maybe you're not walking in the Spirit, so therefore you don't have the joy. That could be the problem, you see. Let us learn to adjust that and get in the place where God, God can use us. Well, talking about joy, I read of a depressed king who was told by a counselor, he says, you go throughout all of your kingdom and you find the happiest man in your kingdom and you get his shirt and wear it, and you'll be very happy. He did all this, and he went all over his kingdom, and he found the happiest man in the kingdom. The man did not have a shirt. <laughs> That's what happens. It's not depending on a shirt. It depends on what's inside and where you stand with Jesus Christ. Are you a happy Christian today? I hope you are. Do you have joy? I hope you do. Look at number three. You can encourage. You can encourage. Now, this is written primarily, if you look at verses 12, if you look at verse 12 in, in our text here, look at verse uh, 12, and we urge you, brethren, to recognize those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake, be at peace among yourself. This is primarily referring to the leadership of a local congregation uh, pastors, deacons, and elders, and this application is so applicable because it's talking about encouragement. And it goes beyond that relationship because it is 
a fact of Scripture that we should be encouragers. Remember, remember, uh, remember Barnabas in the New Testament? Acts 4.36, And Joseph, who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levi of the country of Cyprus. Remember George Fujimoto? Would you say he was an encourager? Absolutely. Well, it's good to be an encourager. Now, listen, there's a difference between encouragement and flattery. Did you know that? A lot of people, all they do is sling out flattery. N not good. Not a good idea. You see, flattery is, is a false compliment to someone for selfish reasons. Oh, I'm just going to really build them up, but it's all for me, really, see? That's what, a, that's what flattery is. Now, encouragement is building up somebody. God has a lot to say about flattery. Listen to what he says in Psalm 26, 28. A lying tongue hates those who are crushed by it, and a flattering mouth works ruin. Here's what God thinks about flattery in another verse, Psalm 123, uh, I mean Psalm uh, uh, 12, 3. May the Lord cut off all flattering lips and the tongue that speaks proud things. You see, and Paul was very, very careful in this letter to the to the Thessalonians in chapter 2 and verse 15. He says, I did not use flattery. Which, which means insincere speech. He said, I didn't use that when I was with you. His was genuine speech. Well, in the age of email and forwards and the never-ending reception of stuff on our computer, you may have already heard this. Would you please bear with me? I want to read it anyway because I think it may help at least one or two people here today and it's going to help me just reading it again. <clears throat> a teacher in New York decided to honor each of her seniors in high school by telling them the difference they each made. She called each student to the front of the class one at a time. First, she told each one of them how they had made a difference to her and the class. Then she presented each one of them a nice blue ribbon imprinted with gold letters which read, Who... I am makes a difference. Afterwards, the teacher decided to do a class project to see what kind of impact recognition would have on, on a community. So she gave each one of the students three more of those ribbons that said, Who I am makes a difference. And instructed them to go out and spread this acknowledgement ceremony. Then they were to follow up on the results and see who honored whom and report back to the class in about a week. So one of the boys in the class, went to a junior executive, probably the guy I worked for, in a nearby company and honored him for helping him with his career planning. He gave him a blue ribbon, one of those he had received, and put it on his shirt. Then he gave him two extra ribbons and said, we're doing a class project on recognition and we'd like you to go out and find someone to honor and give them a blue ribbon, then give them the extra blue ribbon so they can acknowledge a third person to keep this acknowledgement thing going and going. Then, then um, please report back to me and tell me what happened. Okay, later that day, the junior executive went in to see his boss, who had been noted, by the way, as being kind of a grouchy fellow, he sat his boss down and told him that he deeply admired him for being a creative genius. Well, I wonder how I got up the nerve to say that, huh? The junior executive asked him if he would accept the gift of the blue ribbon and would, would he give him permission to put it on him. 
he surprises his his surprise boss said, "Well, well, sure." And the boss seemed very surprised. The junior executive took the blue ribbon and placed it right on his boss's jacket above his heart, and he gave him the last extra ribbon and said, "Would you do me a favor, sir? Would you take the extra one?" and pass it on by honoring someone else. The young boy who first gave me the ribbon is, is doing a project in school, and we want to keep the recognition ceremony going and find out how it affects people. That night, this man, the boss, came home to his 14-year-old son and sat him down, and he said, The most incredible thing happened to me today. I was in my office. And one of the junior executives came in and told me that he admired me and gave me a blue ribbon for being a creative genius. Imagine, he thinks I'm a creative genius. Then he put his blue ribbon that says, who I am makes a difference, and he, and he put on my jacket above my heart. And he gave me an extra ribbon and asked me to find someone else to honor. And I was, as I was driving home tonight, son, I started thinking about whom I would honor with this ribbon, and I thought about you. I want to honor you, my son. My days are really hectic, and when I come home, I don't pay a lot of attention to you. Sometimes I scream at you for not getting good enough grades in school, or your bedroom is a mess. But somehow tonight, I just wanted to sit here and, well, just let you know that you do make a difference to me. Besides your mother, you are the most important person in my life. You're a great kid. I love you. The boy started to sob, and he wouldn't stop crying. His whole body shook. He looked up at his father and said through tears, Dad, earlier tonight I sat in my room and wrote a letter to you and Mom explaining why I had killed myself and asking you to forgive me. I was going to commit suicide tonight after you were asleep. I just didn't think that you cared at all. The letter is upstairs. I don't think I need it after all. His father walked upstairs and found a heartfelt letter full of anguish and, and pain. The envelope was addressed, Mom and Dad. The boss went back to work a changed man. He was no longer a grouch, but made sure to let all his employees know that they made a difference. The junior executive helped several other young people with career planning and never forgot to let them know that they made a difference in his life, one being the boss's son. And you see, and the young boy and his classmates learned a valuable lesson. Who you are does make a difference. And folks, encouragement does pay. Why don't we learn to just give a word of encouragement to someone? You may not even know they need it, but in doing so, you may save someone like this young boy and save his life. Oh, that God would help us to be encouragers, folks. I trust that you will. And then number four, it says you can pray. First Thessalonians 5.17 says pray without ceasing. In other words, so I ask three questions. Do you, do you pray? Number two, do you pray alone? Number three, do you pray with others? You see... King David one time said in one of the Psalms, 109.4, he says, I give myself to prayer. Oh, how important it is to, to give yourself to prayer. And the, the word is full of what it means to, 
to pray and how to pray. And, and it, it's so wonderful, but pray without ceasing. I trust that you will learn to do that, my friend. I hope that I will learn to do that. Don't be like the backsliding fisherman in a, in a storm with a companion who asked, who asked him to pray. He said, I haven't been to church for a long time. Oh, Lord, if you help us now, I haven't asked anything of you for 15 years. And if you help us now and bring us safely to land, I promise I won't bother you again for another 15 years. <laughs> That's the way some of us maybe approach prayer. How sad. How sad. Little Bobby didn't have it so wrong either. He was, he was saying his bedtime prayers a week before his birthday in a loud voice. And he, and he listed all the things he wanted in his prayer. And his mother says, don't pray so loudly. The Lord isn't hard of hearing. And Bobby said, maybe he isn't, but grandma is. Prayer is more than an intercession or an intercom between you and God to put in your order for something, my friend, that you just want. Prayer does include that, but prayer is a means God uses to change us. Billy Graham said this, that 85% of all seminaries in the USA have no classes on prayer. Seven days without prayer makes one week. That's a good little pun, isn't it? It has been said that the average Christian in America spends only four minutes a day in prayer. It was found that pastors spend an average of only seven minutes per day conversing with God, and later that was changed to only three minutes a day. My mother wrote us in Brazil one time. They lived in Phoenix, Arizona, and here's what mother said. She says, I get little done but praying. A lot of you knew, Annette. Thank God that, that mother got little done but prayer. But that she did. Her life was a prayer. True prayer is a way of life, not just a case of emergency. Are you willing to start praying more, my friend? I pray that you will be willing to pray more. Let's look at the last one, please. The last one, the fifth point, you can be thankful. Look at verse 18 of 5. It says, and it, and it says, in everything, give thanks. Isn't that a great verse? In everything, give thanks. And notice, notice what all it says about it. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So if you're not a thankful Christian, dear friend, you're not, uh, you're not doing God's will. Because that says, this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. I trust that you will, you will learn to be thankful. Why? Because Romans 8, 28, for we know that all things work together for good to those who love God. And so we should be people of prayer. Note that we should give it, that we, that in everything give thanks. It, that we should just pray all the time. I learned from my mother. I learned from my mother years ago. She, she just said, she never told us, but I, I knew it. Before she baked a cake, she prayed. When she got in the car to take dad to work, she prayed. Everything she did was a prayer. Not over-exaggerated. No one ever knew she did. She just did it. And we who observed knew what was coming on because she was a lady of prayer. And oh, how wonderful to do that. And you know, um, 
Thanksgiving may be the missing ingredient in our lives. Dear old Alexander White, the great preacher of yesteryear, he always prayed with gratitude. And one day it was a miserable day. And his congregation kind of got a kick out of it. They says, what in the world is he, because he's always so thankful. What is he going to say today in his prayer? Well, here's what he said. Oh, Lord, we thank you that it is not always like this. <laughs> Isn't it great to be positive like that? You see, an appreciative heart brightens a dreary day and shortens the longest night. Now, I'm going to read another one. And forgive me if you've heard this one before. And I'm not smart enough to know this thing by heart, so I'm going to read it. But it just shows you the power of thankfulness. One day a poor little boy was going from door to door selling his goods and uh, he was trying to pay his way through school. And so he, um, he was down to one dime and he was getting real hungry. So the next house he went to, he said... He decided that he would ask for a meal at the next house. However, he lost his nerve when he got there, and he just could not uh, bring himself around to ask for anything to eat, but he was so hungry. And so instead of a meal, he asked for a drink of water. And so uh, she, she thought he, the lady who answered the door thought, thought he looked real hungry, so she brought him a large glass of milk, and he, he drank it so slowly and then asked, How much to owe you, ma'am? And she said, oh, you don't owe me anything, she replied, because mother has taught us never to accept pay for a kindness, he said. Then, oh, he, so he said, then I thank you from my heart, and his name was Howard Kelly. He left that house, and he not only felt strongly, uh, strong physically, but his faith in God and man was strong also. He had been ready to give up and quit. Many, many years later, that same young woman who gave him the glass of milk, fell ill, very ill, and was moved to another hospital in another town, and that's where our story picks up again. From that day, he gave special attention to this lady, this man whose name is Howard Kelly, and after a long struggle, the battle was won, and Dr. Kelly requested the business office to pass the final bill to him for approval. He looked at it, then wrote something on the edge, and the bill was sent to her room. She feared to open it, for she was sure it would take the rest of her life to pay for the bill. Finally, she looked, and something caught her attention on the side of the bill. She read these words, Paid in full with one glass of milk. Signed, Dr. Howard Kelly the little guy that asked her for a drink of water. You see, folks, tears of joy flooded her eyes as her happy heart prayed, Thank you, God, that you love. your love is spread abroad through the human hearts and hands. And, and, uh, and what a story this is about being thankful. Folks, I hope that we will be thankful and be a witness and be an encourager and the other things that we've studied today. Let us bow in prayer. Father, seal to our hearts now, I pray, that which we have seen in your word. May your words be powerful in our lives today. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.